Father, we thank you for what you're up to this morning. We, we thank you for the miracles. We thank you for uh, every little thing, God. We don't take for granted your presence and your move, uh, the, the testimonies that you've given us. We don't take them for granted. We stop and we honor you and we give you uh, glory. We thank you for every single one of them. Uh, Lord, we know that they are not things that we could produce in our own strength. They're nothing that we could accomplish on our own. But uh, when you show up, Lord, all things are possible. And uh, God, we ask that as we look into your word this morning, that you would speak to us. Uh, let it become alive and fresh to us this morning. Let it strengthen us even in the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And uh, I've had a, a couple weeks where we've done some different things. Uh, we, Pastor Prabhu shared last week, and then I, I talked about promotion. Uh, but if you remember, in August, I was talking about being kingdom optimists, not not being an optimist just for the sake of, hey, we want to say the glass is half full, or we want to be chipper or Pollyanna, uh, but because our faith is rooted in the kingdom of God. Woo! I've got the boomy, ringy voice going this morning. That's I feel like I ought to... Maybe I should start prophesying now when you get the boom and the ring. Uh, I said we need to be carriers of hope to the world. Because if we don't give hope to the world, where will they get it from? Uh, if, if they're not able to look to Christians, if they're not able to look to uh, followers of Jesus to receive hope, then they are indeed hopeless. Uh, so not only did I say the kingdom is continually advancing spiritually, but I, I made the case for the world should be getting better as the light in the church grows brighter and brighter. As we implement the promises of God's word, it should cause the very world around us to improve also. Uh, part of optimism, as I was thinking about it, is watching the way we talk. And in some cases, changing the way we talk. How many of you know words are important? Uh, what we say and the way we say things are very important. You can communicate the same truth in different ways and people will receive it differently. If uh, The best one I could think of is I'm hungry. So don't use this to get your mind off the sermon and think about lunch. But I could come up to Pam and I could say, man, I'm hungry. And she would know, oh, he's hungry, but there's like, He's going to get something to eat. It's going to be good. There's, there's no problem here. Or I could come up to Pam and say, man, I'm hungry. You've never heard that, right? Not, no. uh, what does that say? That says, boy, this guy's a whiner. <laughs> He's complaining about being hungry. Uh, or I could come say, I'm hungry. What's that say to her? That says, make your own sandwich. You know, that's, that's what that's saying. You know, I'm upset. I'm hungry. I'm expecting something out of you. The same truth. I've just communicated the same fact, but the way I say it and how I say it comes across vastly different. And I think we need to remember that we can do the same things with the truths of Scripture. We can communicate the exact same truths to people in different ways and they will receive it differently. And that's what I wanted to think about this morning. Uh, we need to think about how we're communicating things to be uh, givers of hope in the doctrines and the theology that we even hold that we communicate with people. Uh, there is a, a balance here. I, I think words are important, uh, but I think God also looks at the motives of your heart. You know, we, we know... 
we know the truth of God's word is that he's given us the fullness of Christ. The, the fullness of the deity dwells inside of us. I don't think, you know, there's, there's people that pray more, Lord. You know, I want more. Okay, well, you know, the truth of the scripture is you've already been given it all. You know, I don't think God cares whether you say more, Lord, or you say, Lord, we want you to manifest more of what's already true in the scripture. I don't think he cares that much. I think he looks at your heart and says, wow, here's a guy that's really after me and wants to see uh, me manifest in his life. So on that side, uh, you know, I think we shouldn't argue about words because I think God looks more at what's what's in your heart. What are you seeking? What are you desiring? But I still think words are important in how we say them to people. So that's what I wanted to look at this morning. Uh, the way we communicate ought to produce some hope. So think about some common Christian beliefs with me and how we've shared them with people. Uh, the first one I wanted to think about is church attendance. Uh, I sent out a note earlier this week. I don't know, Hallmark didn't do this one, but somehow today is National Back to Church Day. Has anybody seen this or heard this? I've seen it in a few places around town. And uh, welcome back. <laughs> For, for some of us, it's, wow, I was just there last week, and now it's National Back to Church Day. It's only been a week, and he's celebrating me. That's great. Uh, if it's been longer, welcome back also. But inherently, we, we all seem to know it's a good idea to be in church. We, we have this idea of, oh, I need to go to church, uh, but why? Do we ever ask ourselves that? Like, e- even people in the neighborhood that I meet, they have an idea that they should be in church, or at least their kids. Do you ever meet people like that? Oh, my, you know, we stopped going to church, but now that the kids are getting a little older, we need to get them in Sunday school. And usually that's code for my kids are really acting up at home and I don't know what to do with them. Can you fix them? Uh, But somehow, inherently, people know church is a good place to be. We ought to be there. But why? And and thinking about the same truths we can communicate in two different ways, I, I thought about the negative side. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, they invite you to church, but they're really, the way it comes across is you're so bad, you need to get to church. You know, if, if you just get to church, maybe they can fix you. Or, or they say it, in, and it comes across in a way like, man, if you just get involved and get in, involved in all the church activities, you won't have as much time to get in trouble. We'll, we'll keep you so busy, you know, we won't, idle hands are the devil's workshop or whatever they say. We'll, we'll keep your hands from being idle. We'll work you to death. That's not really the right motive for coming to church. Um, or, or we communicate it this way is, oh, you, you fill up your good deed account if you, if you check in at church regularly. If, if you're there, hey, you've done your duty for the week. Or even I think the worst motive we have is we look at and say, if I could just get people to church, we'll have more numbers than the church down the street. And our, our church will look better. We'll have a better reputation. Those are all the same truth. You need to be in church, but not the right motive, not communicated the right way. Uh, so how do we say it if people should be in church? Uh, a couple things that I thought about is in a positive light for church attendance. Uh, we said it this morning already. Matthew eighteen twenty reminds us uh, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. You know, we could invite people to church and say, you need to come to church because Jesus shows up and does amazing things. There, there are things that, that he comes that when we gather together, you can't experience it by yourself at home. There, there are things when, when the Holy Spirit comes and the anointing that comes in a corporate setting that you can't get just sitting on your couch by yourself. That's, that's a reason to come to church. How about this one, Hebrews 10.25? Sometimes we beat people up with this verse. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, We need to be together because we get encouraged. Uh, You know, we can use that verse to beat people up and say, ah, you're like those people Paul is writing to. You've gotten in a bad habit of not going to church. Well, no, the, the truth is you need to be in church because you get encouraged in your walk with the Lord. He is assembling and building us into something together that is greater than what we can accomplish by ourselves. We are all needed. And when you are not here, there is an empty spot. There is a piece missing. And I don't mean just an empty parking space or an empty chair. There is a vital piece of the body of Christ missing if you're not here with us. How can we truly be assembled together if I've only got one half of what I want to assemble here? Ephesians 2.22 also reminds us, In Him... You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You know, we all know that we are the temple of Christ. He, he dwells within us. The Holy Spirit's here in all His fullness. But Ephesians also tells us there is something He is building corporately that houses the presence of God in a way that the world's never seen. We need to be together, not just for fun, Not just so God can keep an eye on us easier. You know, get them all in one spot, I can keep an eye on them. No, we're here because He's building something grand and glorious when we come together. Do you know church is a safe place to grow in your Christian walk? Is it a place where you can come to mature? You can't grow the way you need to grow if you're never around other Christians. If you are at home by yourself, you may think, I'm at home, I've got peace. You know, perfect peace because nobody else ever comes in the house. How many of you can relate to that? Man, when I'm going, moving right along. I'm sorry. I I was just thinking, you know, there are times literally as much as I love Pam and Silas when when they're not in the house. I'm just like, ah, there's nothing. It's peaceful. But you know what? You don't grow in your peace, in your patience, in your kindness, in those fruit of the Spirit that we need to have. In your, you don't grow when there's not other people around you. Rubbing you the wrong way, saying things that tick you off. You, you can't grow if you're not around people. So we need to come to church, but we need to be doing it for the right reasons, with an expectation, God, what are you building? What are you doing in my life and fashioning us together? So that's, that's just one thing I was thinking. We can, we can say church attendance is important. Same truth, we could communicate it in two different ways. And uh, one is going to be received a lot better by people. Uh, the other thing, a couple other things I was thinking of. Uh, one is the nature of God. Anybody ever hear teachings about God that just, you come away and you're thinking, man, God is mad. He's like an angry old man, you know, sitting on the porch yelling at the kids in the yard. Stay off my grass. Sometimes people preach God like that. Look at all the people he killed in the Old Testament. He is just waiting for people to get out of line so he can whack them, get them back in line. Has anybody ever met somebody? We don't teach that here. Thank God. Anybody ever met somebody that their view of God is that way or they've they've heard it communicated that way? Do you know we need to communicate the nature of God in a positive way? You know, granted, God's big enough he can handle his own reputation. But we as his ambassadors, when you're an ambassador, you represent somebody. And, and you try to tell people what they're, what they're like, what they believe, what they do. Do you know that God hasn't changed from the beginning of eternity until now? God, God didn't put on one hat in the Old Testament 
and say, okay, I'm going to be mean, vengeful, judgmental God now. And then, oh, thank goodness, after the cross, now I can show you the nice, you know, good cop, bad cop. It's, it's not good God, bad God. He, he doesn't change. Malachi tells us in chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Uh, in James, he reminds us again, chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's nature never has and never will change. He is just, and this is, this is what we need to communicate to people, He is just as merciful, as loving and compassionate now as He was in the Old Testament, as He was when He created the world. And people, people look at you like merciful and, and gracious and compassionate in the Old Testament. You know, what about, you know, fire broke out and all these people got... Psalm 25, 6 says, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. The first character of himself that God revealed to people was his love, his mercy, his compassion. Everything that you see in the character and nature of Jesus is who God is and who he has always been. The compassion, the love, the mercy... You know, if you go read through the Psalms, it's actually pretty interesting because David will even be in the middle of a rant sometimes, like telling God, I'm upset, you've, you've abandoned me, you've deserted me, my enemies are triumphing. And he always seems to get her, even in the same chapter, he's, he's in the middle of pouring out his complaint before the Lord and he comes around to, you're so good, God. You're so merciful. I, I think about your mercies all day long. I think about your love and your compassion. What did he do when he came down to Moses? What Moses says, show me your glory. What does God say? Okay, here's a bright, shiny light. Is that how that went? You guys read that story, right? Okay, so, so Moses was there. He says, God, show me your glory. God says, I, I'll put you in the rock when I pass by. You, you can look at my gluteus maximus. <laughs> You can see me after I go past, but you can't see my face right now and live. Well, you know, part of that is because in the Old Testament, the cross hadn't happened yet. There, there was no mercy and grace uh, between them and the holiness of God. You couldn't see God's face in your mortal flesh and, and stand it. You would die. Uh, but when he comes down to Moses, what does he do? It says that in Exodus 34, verse 5, says, Lord, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. God does have wrath. He does have judgment. But it is not experienced by believers. What he trumpeted to Moses was, I am the Lord, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I'm slow to anger, I, my, I may hold things for the third and fourth generation to the, the fathers and the children, but my love and my mercy extends to thousands. Thousands of generations know the mercies of God. Um, I will just say this. God is merciful, He's compassionate, He's full of love. He always was, and He always will be. He hasn't changed, and we need to tell people that. Uh, when I said God has wrath, 
but it's not experienced by believers. In Christ, there is no longer any fear of God being angry. That, that is the secret. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, uh, he says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give each person according to what he has done. Uh, There is a day when God's wrath will be poured out. But as a believer, you will not experience that. You will not see his wrath. And I will go so far to say that even unbelievers don't see the wrath of God in this life. It says there is a day of wrath that he's storing up to pour out. Now, if you pass into eternity without accepting the work of the cross, you will most likely get acquainted with God's wrath, and it will not be pleasant. But if you are a Christian, there is no longer any wrath to be experienced by us. We have to be people that trumpet that God is good and He loves people. Is that okay to say it that way? All right. That kind of leads me into the next thing I was thinking about is the reasons we give people for getting saved. You know, it's hard to think about the wrath of God in contrasted with His loving nature and not think about how do we communicate to people their need to be saved. Has anybody ever experienced the, a turn or burn teacher? You, you've heard somebody preaching the, the judgment and the wrath of God and you better repent or you're going to fry. Something... Along those lines, that's condensing it. Uh, Or people that, you know, the only reason they give you to get saved is to avoid going to hell. Now, hell is very real. You've earned a place there all by yourself. If you've rejected God, He didn't send you there, you chose that. that. That is a choice we make when confronted with the gospel. We either choose life or we choose death. But that should not be your number one reason for getting saved. Uh, a fear of going to hell it's, it's like buying your fire insurance if you're afraid your house is going to burn you, you buy your fire insurance you're like hey I'm never going to think about that again the house is taken care of it's protected there are some people that treat their salvation like that hey I'm not going to go to hell that's awesome thank you I'm never going to think about that again my insurance is paid up I'll just go back to what I was doing that is not the good reason to get saved that is not how we need to communicate to people. Did you know that, that fear and love produce the same results in the short term? Anybody ever experience this? If you have kids, you know how this works. Fear and love will produce the same results in the short term. Silas may do things because he loves me and he wants to do them. And, oh, I just, my dad loves me. I'm going to do this for him. Or Silas could be like, man, if I don't do this, it's going to be bad news for me. I'm going to get the same result done in the short term. But out of fear and love, only one of those produces long-lasting fruit in people's lives. I've seen so many people that they get saved out of fear. Oh, I, you confronted me with that, that hell story was really bad. I don't, that makes me afraid. I don't want that. I want to get saved. Even if somebody gets saved because they're afraid of hell, we must move them as quickly as we can into encounters with God's love and His goodness or it will not last. As soon as they forget about the hell story or they're, they're on to the next thing, they'll go back to just what they were doing before. But the quicker we get them into an encounter with God's love, the longer lasting fruit it will produce in people's lives. Does it say 
For God was so angry and so bent on sending people to hell that he sent Jesus to the world. What's it say? God so loved the world. That is what people need to be hearing from us. Second uh, Peter 3 also reminds us the Lord's not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It produces much better fruit in people's lives if they know God loves you. God's been patient. He's been merciful. He's been wanting you to come to know Him, to be in a relationship with Him. It is... Uh, Romans chapter 2 reminds us, is God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It doesn't say it's His anger, it's His judgment. It says it's His kindness that leads people to repentance. Repentance is what true change is. Repentance is what changes your mind and then comes out in your actions. It's His kindness that causes people to truly change and come into a relationship with Him. Two ways to tell people you need to get saved. One is not so hot. The other one will produce good fruit. Uh, just a couple other things to touch on quickly, thinking about how we say and how we communicate things. Do you ever think about how we view people's hearts? This, this is an interesting one for me. Maybe it wasn't for anybody else. Or, or more significantly, our expectations of what people are going to produce because of what's in their heart. Uh, you hear people talk about it all the time. They, they break out the verses. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And uh, they, they tell people something along the lines of, Well, if you really follow your heart, you'll just keep on sinning. You know, you'll, you'll just be shipwrecked. You, you'll follow these base passions of life and you won't get anywhere with God. You know what? It says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Here's some good news for you today. Your heart had an incurable disease, so God gave you a transplant. He, he took the old one out, and He put a new one in there. You, you don't have to worry about following your heart when God's given you a brand new one, one that He's placed His Spirit in, one that He's written His commands on your heart. That is something that you can look at and say, Wow, all things really did become new. When I got saved, He even gave me a new heart. Romans 10.10 uh, says, It is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you didn't get a new heart, you couldn't even believe. It's the evidence of God putting that new heart in you is the fact that you believe in Him. There's something about it that just, I couldn't even have a relationship with you, God, if you had not taken my old heart of stone out and replaced it. We have to begin to expect from people the fruit of who they are. Because too many times we look at people through the lens of the heart's deceitfully wicked. How can I trust your motives? What are you really in this for? You know, are you going to show up when you say you show up? I don't know. You blah, 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 blah. We, we say all these things to disqualify people or to say why we have low expectations of them. We need to begin to treat each other as a new creation. We need to begin to have expectations that we are going to see uh, the fruit come out of what's really true inside of who we are. Now, the balance in that is, will you ever get disappointed? Yes, <laughs> we, are, we are not perfect yet. Uh, Pam is really close, but I know I'm not. And, and I know I've disappointed her on more than one occasion, yet she is under an obligation, I believe, to continue to expect from me the fruit of the nature that's inside of me. Does that make sense at all? 
you know, we, we can't look at... What is that verse? Oh, darn. I didn't write it down. Or I wrote it somewhere else. Uh, the verse where Paul says, We used to view men from a worldly point of view. We even used to view Christ that way at one time. He's, he's saying, in essence, you're no longer people of this world. We need to change our expectations and our viewpoints of people. Uh, now, that, that doesn't mean don't, don't get ticked off at your spouse, you know, because you go home and you say, oh, pastor preached that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're the provider. You're all these things the Bible says you are. Why aren't you acting like it? That's not the good way to go with it. Yeah, I, I am talking about like when, when, you're, when your kids do something, you know, saying to them things like, man, you are better than that. that. That's not how a child of the king acts. And we don't just, we don't just need to do that with kids sometimes. We need to be doing that with one another. Man, I see you're, you're involved in this or you're doing this. You know, that's, you're so much better than that. I, I know you can do this. I have faith in you because of who lives in you. And yes, we will be disappointed, but we have to be willing to persevere, to walk through those things, to continue to have those expectations of God seeping out everywhere, the nature of Jesus being formed in people, whether we get disappointed or not. Which made me think of another thing that we teach sometimes. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word accountability? Somebody's going to keep tabs on me to keep me from messing up. Is that what you think of? Something along those lines? You, usually that's what it is. Accountability is somebody's going to keep me from doing wrong. I, I know I've said this before, but when you, if you're trying to quit smoking... And you sit there in front of the kitchen table with the cigarette pack on the table. And you say, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to smoke. What are you going to end up doing? You're going to end up smoking. Because that's what you're focused on. That's what you're looking at. That's what you're spending your time meditating on. Sometimes in accountability, it's almost like somebody sitting next to us at the kitchen table. Staring at the pack of cigarettes saying... You shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't smoke. What's going to end up happening? You you end up, not only do you end up still smoking, you end up having these tremendous crushing feelings of guilt of not only have I let down myself and I've let down Jesus and I've let down the whole church and my parents and everybody that was ever related to me, but I've really let down my accountability partner. Now I don't even want to call them. You know, I don't want to see them. I start trying to avoid them. That's That's usually how accountability goes a lot of times and uh, I don't think it's that different than sitting there at the kitchen table saying I'm not going to smoke not going to smoke now please hear the balance I am not trying to demean successful accountability relationships I think we ought to be able to ask each other tough questions we ought to be able to help each other grow I'm just saying there are times when it's shifted from what it's supposed to be into this realm of hey we're just going to keep focused on the problem instead of having an expectation of who you are this, this is the best quote I heard recently about accountability. Uh, somebody said, I think accountability should be account for your ability. says, I don't need someone to keep me from smoking. I need someone to make sure I'm on fire. That's a much better method to accountability. Hey, 
when we get together, what are we going to do? Are we going to pray? How are we going to spur each other on towards love and good deeds? You know, there, there is a reason we come together. Jesus didn't walk around with the disciples and say, uh, Peter, I was uh, watching you back there, and you've really got a problem with uh, commandment number four. You know, so we're going to work on that next week. I want you to go home, write a paper about how commandment number four is important. Come back and report to me. And we'll t- Jesus said things like, hey, the crowd's hungry. You feed them. He had expectations and said, you've got miracle power inside of you. Hey, why, why didn't you speak to the storm while I was asleep? You know, I'll, let me get up. I'll take care. Peace be still. Man, little faith, guys. Come on. You're, you're better than this. I've, I've got better plans from you. Peter came back after the other side of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus didn't say, man, I am really upset. You do not have perseverance. You did not support me. You did not stand by me. No faithfulness. Jesus didn't say any of that. He said, feed my sheep. You can do this. This is account for your ability. This is accountability. You can do this. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. That's Hebrews 10.24 is the verse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Accountability is a great thing if it's presented right to the world. We need to be holding each other accountable for you can do this. Man, let's do some great things for the kingdom this week. What are, what are we doing to turn the world upside down? How are we accomplishing it? You guys all right? All right. I'm going to share just a couple other things, not as long, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, a couple of these are kind of self-explanatory, and I'm not going to go into them at all because I know a lot of people believe various things. But I was thinking about the end times. Do you know that a negative way to say it is the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Let's all be afraid of, of how awful things are going to get. Or we can say, you know, it's getting better. The kingdom is advancing. Light is shining brighter. And Jesus is going to return and set up his kingdom once and for all. Completely remove wickedness from the world. That's a lot better way to say that to people. I was thinking about giving. How about this one? Anybody ever heard, if you're not tithing, what? You're under a curse. Anybody ever heard that? Do you know that's not true? (laughs) Jesus became a curse for us to set us free from the curse. Now, I still tithe because I think what tithing does is it positions you to receive blessings from heaven. It's a good place to start with your generosity. The the New Testament model for giving is actually 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that each one should give in his heart what he's decided to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Because God loves a cheerful giver. There are two ways to talk about giving to people. We can either say, hey, you're really going to be in trouble if you don't give enough. Or, man, you are going to have so many blessings overtake your life as you begin to be generous, as you begin to sow into the work of the Lord. Is that all right to say too? All right, good. Just checking. Galatians 3.13 is the verse where it talks about Jesus became a curse for us, if you're looking for that one. Uh, the last thing I was thinking of was the, the power of sin in our lives. You know, we, we spent a whole sermon talking about the power the devil doesn't have and the relationship that we don't have with sin anymore. Uh, I've heard some negative teaching on the power of sin. You know, they, they teach that we should fear the devil. 
that, that we should fear sin or keep expecting to be a sinful person. Uh, or you hear people all the time say, oh, I'm just a wretched sinner. Thank God for his grace. Well, the, the truth is, you used to be a wretched sinner. You know, we, we do, as, as sal- part of salvation, is we need to come to grips with our identity as a sinner and get transformed by the cross. But you are not a wretched sinner anymore if you have embraced the cross. You are a new creation. You're the righteousness of God. You will act like who you believe you are. And if your identity, if you continue to walk around saying, I'm just a wretched sinner, you're going to keep being a wretched sinner. How about this one? Has anybody ever heard, well, you can get saved, there's forgiveness, but there's still consequences. Anybody ever heard that? If the cross was powerful enough to deal with sin, do you think the cross is powerful enough to deal with consequences also? Just throwing that out there as food for thought for you guys. You know, there, there are some things... One of, my, one of my favorite movies is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And you can do whatever you want with that. You may have, I may have just invalidated years of preaching because I said that. Uh, one of my favorite lines is, yeah, he, Everett says, Hey, the, the Lord might have forgiven you, but the state of Mississippi is not so accommodating. You know? <laughs> that may be true in some cases. You know, if, if you broke the law, you may still have to end up going to jail. But do you know the cross is powerful enough to even deal with consequences? Pastor Jamie, that, that pastors the youth in Agape, was telling me a story one time. They, they had a young girl come to their youth group, and uh, she, had, she was a cutter. You guys know what that is? She, she cut her arms up with razors and whatever. And so she had all these scars on her arms. And she came up to Pastor Jamie. She had come to the youth group, and she got saved. And somebody was preaching about if you're if you're a new creation, all things are new, and God has the power to change. She came up and said, "If if all things become new, and and I'm new on the inside, can God make me new on the outside?" And they started to pray, and her scars started to disappear on her arm. If the cross is big enough to deal with your sin, the cross is big enough to deal with consequences. We just need to change how we think about it, how we believe, how we perceive it, how we communicate it to people. The, the, the cross won't deal with your consequences if you're looking to it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, if that's your only motive for getting saved is, oh, I did this really bad thing, now I want to be able to tell people, you know, I, I found Jesus, so don't send me to prison. It doesn't work like that. But he really does make all things new. He really can deal with even our consequences of what we did. We need to think about how we are communicating with people. You do not need to change a word of this book for it to be good news. We just have to watch how we're speaking it and communicating it to people and letting it work in their lives. Amen? All right. Let's stand. It's, it's good news at church. We ought, to be, we ought to be happy and filled with hope and joy when we, when we hear things preached at church. Well, here's what I want to do. Just right where you're standing, I, I just want you to do some business with God. And think about the way we've communicated the truths of Scripture to people. 
And, and just, we're not going to take a terribly long time to do it, but we're just going to wait for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. So there are times when, when I haven't said this rightly, or I've come across in such a way that it's actually pushed people away from you, God. And then we're going to ask Him, Father, just help us to adjust our attitude, our nature, our, our words, the way we communicate things. So, 